Daniel, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Chapter 2 in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. 
But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, 
and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all together were broken in pieces, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Chapter 3 King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was sixty cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, 
and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. 
He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Chapter 4 King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, 
amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. 
At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. All right. Can you just pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you be with us this morning as we study your word. Lord God, I pray that you inspire our hearts, God. Lord, that you transform our lives, Lord, through the teaching and the preaching of your word, God. Lord, I pray that you... Uh, give me utterance, God, and you give me courage and boldness to speak your word, Lord God, and your inspiration. We thank you. We honor you, Lord. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Okay. That was a little bit old school. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's get into new school. Uh, the title of our sermon is Transforming Babylon. Now, if you go, if you go back to chapter 1, I want you to notice something is that in chapter 1, verse 2, something uh, that's said there is, And the Lord gave Jeconiah, king of Judah, into, the hands, uh, into, in, into his hands, and with some of the articles of the house of the Lord, and to be carried into the land of the Chaldeans. Now, what you notice is that these guys, uh, they were invaded, stuff was taken, and they take the young men of Judah. You know, the young promising men, the Gwetabas of every nation turban, <laughs> they carry them off to, um, to, to Babylon. And as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, 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 a person, I'm young. I can say I'm young in this context, right? Yeah, in Westville, I can't say that because everyone says, thinks I'm old. So as a young person, <laughs> uh, the context, when, you know, as young South Africans, we have this thing about us that we like complaining. There was uh, a couple of months ago, what happened was in TUT, students complained because the psychology exams was too hard and they wanted to walk out. It was like, it's too much. I'm getting out of here. So I would, I, I'm looking at this thing in context of a, a young South African. So it's just like we look at the scripture and we read it and we're like, hold up, like VAR, you know. Let's look at it properly. Closer. And then, what? We were, the Lord gave. So God deliberately allowed us to go into slavery. Typical South African re- reaction would be, Sfelan. <laughs> it's too much. Hashtag Babylon Angizi. <laughs> no ways. You know, we'd be thinking about ourselves and be saying, God, I'm not going to do this. And this is not happening. And we'd be so offended and so frustrated. Or how could God allow this to happen? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And when you read the story on, 
what happens is that Babylon has a plan. And in, in Babylon's plan is to take these young men. First, uh, go on to the next slide, please. So when they take them, first, they teach them the ways of Babylon. So they can think in the ways of Babylon. They teach, they teach, they teach them in the language of Babylon. And they also give them some of the goodies of Babylon. Imagine you're living in Judah and you can't have pork and you can't have bacon and sausages and pork bangers and you go to Babylon and it's like pork belly all day and every day. And all kinds of things that you know you couldn't have and all the goodies and all the nice things that you couldn't have in Judah. Now there you have them in Babylon. And finally, they change their names. As South Africans, we definitely understand what's happening here. It's called colonization. Where you've been taken and your, your, your name is being changed, you know, from, T, from, from Tandega to TK. Because <laughs> it's easier. We can say TK. <laughs> Gotcha. Is <laughs> this this transformation of coming from your home country and what you know and being implanted into a different sphere, into a different world, and you're changing and, and changing your outlook of life and your understanding of life and everything. And, you know, what Babylon does is it influences our thoughts and our minds and our understanding of life. It helps us shape the way we look at life. It helps us shape the way we look at success. Now, I want you to do me a favor. Can you write down three things this year? Like three things that you wanted at the beginning of the year when you made your resolutions. Three things that, like at the top of your list, that would have made your year a success. That by December, that you've been like, yeah, now my year was successful. I got a car, got a license. You know those things, right? The things that you make your goals, right? Write down three. Felicity is looking at me and is like, there's a trap here, yes? I can smell it. <laughs> okay. So, last week, Pastor Wayne asked us a question and he said, um, do you know what your kingdom mandate is? What is your mandate in God's kingdom? What are you doing in God's kingdom? Before we talk about that, I want to I show you a video clip, if you guys can get it ready, please. It's from the movie The Matrix. Who remembers The Matrix? Okay, for the rest of you who don't remember The Matrix, The Matrix is a movie about a post-apocalyptic world where machines and computers and humans fight and there's a big, great war and the, earth, and the whole earth gets destroyed and every energy source in the planet is, de is, de is depleted. And the machines have no other option and have no other source of power. So they decided to take human beings and use them as batteries. Now, in, for, in order for them to be, to be successful in using human beings as batteries, they had to put them in a machine called the matrix so that their minds will be plugged into a system where they're not aware of what's happening in the inside, on the outside, but on the inside, they're in this blissful world where, you know, life is going on as normal, like it's a day-to-day -day typical world that you have. Until a few of them 
are awakened and they realize that actually, no, this is not the life that, this is not real life. This is just a machine and a program that we're plugged into. So we pick this, uh, uh, we're going to pick this up when uh, what happens is that one of the guys who was in the matrix, matrix gets out of the matrix and they realize that, you know what, life on the outside the matrix is not that great. I want back in. So I want you to listen to what he says and listen to the dialogue. Can you guys please play it? Thanks for the drink. Sweet dreams. Do we have a deal, Mr. Reagan? You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. Then we have a deal. I don't want to remember nothing. Nothing. You understand? And I want to be rich. You know, someone important. Like an actor. Whatever you want, Mr. Reagan. Okay. You get my body back in a power plant. Reinsert me into the matrix. I'll get you what you want. Access codes to the Zion mainframe. No, I told you I don't know them. I can get you the man who does. Morpheus. All right, thank you, guys. Do you know what it really reminds me of? Tasty wheat. Did you ever eat tasty wheat? Thank you. No, but technically neither did you. That's exactly my point. Okay. So, here is that this guy says, after nine years of living in the real world where they eat this thing that just you, and it's like that, he realizes that, you know what, if he's in the matrix, he's eating steak that's not real steak, but the machine will tell him that it's juicy and it's delicious, but it's not there. And he says, you know what, I don't care. Ignorance is bliss. I'd rather stay in the state than to be in the real world where, you know, life is dark and grim and dingy and all of that. And... What Babylon wants to do is to influence our thinking and our thoughts to realize that, you know what, ignorance is bliss. Let's, you know, forget about what's really happening here. Forget about eternity. Forget about what's happening, what's going to happen in the rest of time. Let's look at the juicy steak that's right in front of you. Like, we sit on Sundays and we look at 
Christian, at, at our Christian life and our Christian everything, and we're sitting here, oh, what a mighty God we serve. And then in your heart, some of us are thinking, ish, yo, Friday night, that was lit. Or like any other time in the world, or like, oh, my friends are going to be having such a nice pry, or I could be fixing my deck, or I could be doing something worthwhile, but I'm stuck here. And, you know, it feels like... In our hearts, we become unsettled by this thought of a life that's in Christ because it's not that nice. You know, like when you go out into the world, you don't have to worry about morals. You don't have to worry about a lot of things. You just enjoy life. It's going to be nice. You know, uh, there was this funny meme that was going out uh, uh, of someone, uh, you know, blesses when they were still a thing. I don't know if they're still a thing. And there was this meme that said, um, this could be us. In Dubai, but to pleasing our morals. <laughs> this thing of saying, you know what? We forget about all of this. This is the good stuff. This is the good life. And to find success. Let me tell you how Babylon defines success to us. Have you ever watched TV? Like, uh, there's a beer ad that says, reserved for champion. Champion man deserves champion beer. Most of the people who drink this stuff don't look like champions. (laughs) And then there's a nice car ad that says, hello future. Next one. Hello future. Immediately you look at it and be like, ooh, the future is bright. This is the future. I want it. It defines what success is for you. The future is the car. Go to a dictionary and find what the future is. It's not about cars. There's no cars. It's what happens in the day tomorrow. But what happens is that we have this interpretation of that the future is material. The future is something that I need to get. That's why TV ads these days don't focus on selling you a product. They focus on selling you a lifestyle. It's not about the car. It's about the life that you have with the car. This one time, uh, we were at the mall with my, with my mom, and this uh, salesman walks up to us and be like, can I interest you in this product? It's going to revolutionize your lifestyle. It's going to make you healthy. It's going to give you more energy and all of that. I'm like, buddy, buddy what are you selling? Pots. <laughs> I'm like... How on earth are pots going to revolutionize my lifestyle? No, it has this nine grease function that you actually, when you cook, the fat will be reduced, blah, 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 and all these terms and this jargon, and this jargon to make you think that, ooh, the pots, I need the pots. Without the pots, I'm going to get fat. I need the pots so I can cook good food and be skinny, but they're actually going to cook with the nonstick pot and hoi all that oil in there. It's this defining success for you what is success look at the top three list of yours i want you to look at it how many of the things in there are material if you if your kingdom mandate is to make disciples and to you know reach out to the poor and all of that and then in your top three goals of the year it's oh i need a better house 
I need to change my what what I need to change my all of that and then at the end of the year the year finishes and you feel like you're unsuccessful because you did not get any material gain you might have done you know you might have reached out to the poor you might have discipled someone but there's no material gain so you feel worthless because the world has told you that your worth is found in materialism that its success is getting stuff and getting other things Hebrews 11, verse 24 to 25. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughters, a daughter, chose rather to suffer affliction with, God, with the people of God than to enjoy the, uh, the passing pleasures of sin. We could enjoy something, but it's temporary. It's not true success. Numbers is not success. Success is when we faithfully are reliant on God's word and we live out our purpose that God has called us to. And there's this concept that we like as Christians, like, ah, no, I hear you, but you know what? I have kids to feed, they've got bills to pay, I've got all these other things. So what you, there's this, in, in chapter, one, two, three, in chapter Three of Daniel. What happens is that when Nebuchadnezzar builds this great idol and he says everyone should bow to it. Everyone must bow when everyone hears the music that they must bow to this great idol. I believe in South Africa right now our greatest idol is money. What happens is Babylon just exalts it above us and we all bow. The fuel price goes up. Then all of a sudden, people's comments are like, I'm gag at the fuel price. You know, fuel, fuel is too much. And you know what? People, uh, stop asking for lifts. Ne? Fuel costs a lot. And the economy changes and then the news comes and they tell us, hey, the economy is rough. Hey, it's time to tighten our belts. You know, and then immediately the things that we think about tightening our belt is like stop giving, stop being generous because we know the economy is tight. We need to start tightening our belt. We need to work longer hours and we need to work more. And then we like God, it's justified. You know, man shall live. You know, we need to be fed by the sweat of our brow and all of that. So I need to work. And then you gradually move from a state of I'm trusting in God for my life. I'm, I'm faithful. God do this for me and all of that. And you're like, Ish, yeah, but I've got to work. Idol goes up. Ish, I've got to work. Fuel goes up. Ish, food price goes up. Everything goes up. Everything's up and all of that. You're on the other side and you're like, Ish, when was the last time I went to church? I'm too tired to even go to a Sunday service and I can't even enjoy the worship because I'm too tired because of what? Because I've been working so hard this whole entire time. That I need to work extra and harder and all of that. Because of this great idol that has been exalted called money. That's the plan of Babylon. That's what Babylon wants us to be like. Now, in this whole great time of what was happening in Babylon, there was a man called Daniel. And what Daniel did is what when he was being colonized and his name was being changed and all of that. Funny how Daniel's name never changed. It was like, no, I will not conform. TK for who? 
Daniel never conformed. And what happens is that at the beginning of Daniel, when they're changing their names and they're moving them off and they're doing all these sort of things, Daniel was like, nah, not me. Daniel was aware and alert of what's happening. Because these things happen gradually. You know, when I was growing up, back in my hometown, there's a lot of people, you know, people drink a lot. So there's quite a few hobos around. And I would used to sit there and look at everyone walking in the streets and be like, I wonder when when in life did you decide to be a drunk and a hobo? I was like, you know, because, you know, no one has, you know, when we have school and we talk about your goals in life, no one stands up and be like, excuse me, me, I just want to be a drunk and just, you know, do nothing. No one ever says that. No one ever. But what happens is through life, it's a gradual shift. Is that when you're in grade one, when we all stand up, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a pilot, I want to be a soldier, I want to be a white man. Go on and go forth. (laughs) And then you get to grade five and then you realize that math is hard. And then you realize, you know what, math is not for me, ne? I know, I'm not good at this thing. You get to matric and you go, and, you're, and you know, instead of being a doctor, now let's lower this thing. Taxi driver, ne? <laughs> a license. You know, a lot of people don't have licenses. Even smart people don't have licenses. If I can get myself a license, be like, ooh, qualification for who? You know, there are unemployed graduates out there. Why are you telling me that I need to be qualified? You lower your standard. You gradually shift from what you felt like God has called you to, to settle for second best, third best, or any other thing. And then you end up being old and telling story. You know, one day me, I was so smart. Christians also tell post-mortem stories. You know when I was on campus? We had all night prayers every week after week. All night prayers. After all night prayers, we had three connect groups. There were 50 people. The fire was on fire. Woo-ha-ha. It was awesome. And then now, what up? Aisha, I had to work. Money. All these other things. Success began, success shifted from being God-centered destiny filled to being I just need to make it I need to survive on a day to day make ends meet Daniel was aware of it uh, 1 Peter 5 8 says be aware uh, be alert and sober minded your enemy the lion prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour be aware be aware be alert 2 Corinthians thirteen fifteen says examine yourself I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, check yourself. Are you still in Christ? Are you still there? Is the fire there, like Sam was saying a couple of weeks ago? Is the fire still burning? Are your priorities still the same? Is your definition of success still the same to glorify the name of the Most High? Or is it shifted to something else? Be alert. Check yourself. We need to check ourselves on a daily basis because we can drift. Drift away. Slowly drifting away. Daniel 2 uh, verse 17. 
Then Daniel went into his house. So what happens is that Nebuchadnezzar, who's a horrible boss, by the way, tells everyone that uh, in Daniel 2 that I want something done, but I'm not going to tell you what. So you have to figure it out and come back to me and tell me what I want. If you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. If you have a horrible boss, take heart. Daniel had an even worse boss. And what happens is Daniel, after hearing all these sad and depressing news, Daniel decides, you know what, I'm going to go into my house. I'm going to find my friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he tells them what happens, and they pray together. The second thing we need to do, first, we need to be alert to what devil is doing in your lives. Second thing, let's be connected. Let's stay connected. Like... When stuff is happening in your life, don't go to somebody that you know that we're just going to have a pity party about it, right? Hey, the fuel is hard, ne? Yeah, hey, I think we need to work extra, yeah? Yeah, hey, uh, we're going to work extra on Saturday, yeah. Hey, worship practice, cancel. We, you know, misery loves company, compromise also likes, likes company too. We do, we're together, ne? We're together. Everyone's doing it, so let's all do it. So Daniel didn't go to the other, other, other people. He went to his companions, people of the same mind, of the same heart, who were also God-honoring, who did not compromise according to Babylon, but were saying, no, this is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to eat the pork. I'm going to stay you know, away from the pork. I'm going to honor God's dietary law. And he, when they went, they went together, they prayed. Daniel was connected to other people of other, and, and other believers who had the same purpose. And he was also connected to God. You know, it said, if you read Daniel, it says that he prayed three times a day. Three times he would go and he would pray before the Lord. You know what? I think one of the funniest things about our current Christian world is that when we go to God and we pray, we always pray about our stuff. God, I need this. God, I'm doing this. God, this is about a smish, 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 smish. But we never take the time to be aware of what is God doing. God, what are you up to? And then we get so frustrated because we have this wish list that we've bought before God and it hasn't come true. But God is not doing that. Did we ever take the time to actually realize, God, what are you doing? Because what could, what Daniel, Michelle, and all these, uh, 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 Hannah and I, and all these other people could be doing is every day, ne? we're going to have a prayer meeting. It's going to be called hashtag get out of Babylon. We're going to come before the Lord. We're going to present the desires of our hearts. And we're going to quote some scripture. Freedom. You know, I will not be oppressed. The spirit of the Lord has anointed me to proclaim liberty to the captives. The Lord will give me the desires of our heart and we get all spiritual and we all about God get us out of our, of our current problems. But we're not aware of the greater thing that God is doing in that current space, in that current time. What is God doing overall? Not just here in front of you and what you need at that present moment. What is God doing in your office? You know, you could be praying that God get this person out of here. That devil must leave. I bind you. I loosen. I do all those things. Tie my bow tie and all of that. But what is God doing in that person's life? What is he doing? Do we take the time to actually find out, God, what are you doing? God allowed them to be captured into Babylon. God took them into Babylon. He let it happen. 
Especially those, these three, these four guys that were God honoring. And the funny thing is that he let them be captured, not because he didn't like them or anything, because he wanted to do something greater in their lives than their little narrow perspective of me, 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 and me alone. God has placed every single one of us into different situations, not just for the comfort of me, but for the greater good of everyone. There's something so powerful that Joseph said to his brothers after, uh, after you know, all that drama had happened and they were all repentant and they were coming, coming to him and asking for forgiveness. He said, you know what, you truly meant what you did to me was evil and you meant harm to me. But God used it for greater good, to preserve life. You might be in a job that you hate, but God will use that to preserve life. There's this thing about us Christians, you know, we like seasons. I'm, I'm just here for a season. It's, it's winter. Nothing grows in winter. I'm not going to expect fruit. It's cold. So this office, huh, this office is winter. I just need to survive. You know what, you, you know what people do in winter? Now we hibernate. So I'm here to hibernate because uh, one day the Lord will deliver me out of Egypt and will take me to the land of milk and honey and I'll be delivered and then I will see my shine and glory and everything. But no, God has placed you there so that you shine your light where you are. I'm out of time, so I'm just going to jump to the end. We need to shine our light. Karabu came and said, you know what, those guys were the fire. That's why the fire didn't burn them. Church, we need to carry the fire of God. And the fire of God is about God's business. And the fire of God is about advancing God's kingdom and honoring God. Through whatever circumstance, whatever is happening in your life, we need to be honoring God. And going after, what, what is God doing? What, Lord, what are you doing in our seasons? There's a funny joke that someone told me one day. He said, um, I, was, I don't know where I heard it. It said, the world is looking for authenticity. If you can fake it, you have it made. <laughs> Thank you, Wayne. <laughs> the world... The world will respect your genuine faith. Daniel was not afraid to be genuine in, the, in, in front of Nebuchadnezzar, who had built a gold statue in his honor. Daniel wasn't afraid to come before Nebuchadnezzar and, told him, and tell him that God says you are prideful. And he will take you out and he will put you out there and you will eat grass like the, like the beast of the field. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid to stand out and be saying, and, and, and say, no, I'm not going to do that. No, this is what I'm going after. You know, Sobs tell this wonderful story about how his boss was expecting them to work extra hours. And he went up and he told them, I have a family. I recently got married. I'm not going to, I can't work extra hours anymore. So at five o'clock, me, I am out of here. Because that's what my contract said. That's what I agreed to. And then at five, he, took, he, takes, he takes his stuff and he walks out and everyone looks at him and is like, sell out, trader. But it's about priorities. 
What is success? Is it, having a, is it having a failed marriage and yet in your workplace you are being glorified and you, you are so awesome and all of that, you're helpful and you're all of that. What is success? What is, God, what is God calling us to? And in the midst of everything, God is calling us to transform society, to transform the places that we go to. To not always be thinking about King Mimi the first, but what is God doing up? What is God up to? What is the greater agenda? Daniel probably didn't like Nebuchadnezzar. He was a pagan. He was prideful. He had a big head. And he was just like, uh, full of himself. But he came before him and honored him. And he was excellent. And he was genuine in his faith. And he was genuine in all he did. And God honored Daniel. He blessed him. It's such a weird thing. I don't know. It, like it only, only by God. Only, it doesn't make sense. Is that the world tells you, do this. And God tells you, eh, just go to church and spend five, you know, serve there. Be in the worship team. Go home and study or something. Or go home and do your work. You could reverse the system and be like, I'm not going to go to church. I need to do work. And you spend forever fussing about that little thing that you can't understand. But when you go into God's house and you're busy worshiping and what a mighty God we serve. Thank God we don't sing that song. (laughs) And what happens is when you go back and then you realize, hold up, your perspective shifts. Because you, you, you get into God's world and you stop looking at it through your eyes. We got to start looking at our, at our lives and our work and everything through God's eyes, not through the world's eyes. We got to stop being so carnal and so focused on what the world is doing. Let's focus on what God is doing and stay alert because it's, it's gradual shifts, gradual shifts. If we were to change the temperature in this room from being roughly 25 plus degrees and immediately make it 100 degrees, everyone would be sweating and running out. But if we gradually shifted a degree at a time, degree at a time, we'd stay here until we realize "Ah, you're drained and you're exhausted because we're not aware. Watch out. Check your dashboard. Check your dashboard. What are the things? What are the dials there? Check your dashboard. Stay connected. Have people who will watch your back and will tell you, um, you're drifting. Uh, that's not right. Uh, this is not happening. And people that you can come to and you can confess and be like, I feel like this. This is what's happening. This is the pressure I feel. This is all of that. Who will, be, who will have enough faith to say, let's pray and trust God instead of saying, yeah, ne, brah. Yeah, I, yeah, you've got problems. I've also got problems. <laughs> what about my issues? Get connected. Get connected to God. Get God's perspective. And finally, don't be afraid to shine your light. Even in the darkest places, that's where the light shines the brightest. Even in the, in the worst working condition, that is way where your light is needed. Like even in the worst complex ever, in the worst res ever. Little story about the worst res ever. Is 
Do you know like those people there? You live in the West Res and they don't like you because you're a Christian and you don't, you know, you're all of that. And they get drunk and then they're like, ooh, what about Zalwa? And they have a problem with our drinking and all of that. Until one of them falls sick and they don't know what to do. Then they come looking for Zalwana to come pray for them. That's when God is like saying, you know what? That's your, your chance of saying, I'm going to give you a little slice of heaven, a little slice of God, and some compassion so you can encounter the living God instead of saying, uh-huh, <laughs> you're getting what you deserve. Because God loves everyone. God loves your boss. God loves your manager. God loves your lecturer. God loves everyone. God loves your, your schoolmaster and everyone. And God desires that everyone comes to the knowledge of Christ. That everyone shall be saved. But our problem is that we feel like God smite them all. <laughs> Get them out of the way. But God wants to use you to transform their hearts like he used Daniel to transform Nebuchadnezzar's heart and ultimately transform Babylon from being a kingdom that thought they were greater than everything and they looked down upon little tiny Judah and they messed up and they kidnapped a few Jewish boys who came in there and they flipped the whole system around because they were away. They knew their God. They were connected to their God and they served him faithfully and they were not afraid to let their light shine. Ultimately at the end of it, Daniel 4, Daniel 4 verse 1 to 3 this is Nebuchadnezzar, Mr. Arrogant, Mr. Golden Statue and everything. He writes, to all the people in all the nations and the, and the language that dwell in all the earth, peace uh, be multiplied uh, to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that uh, the Most High has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And, and his uh, dominion is from generation to generation. From someone who was saying, Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings, may the king, you know, O king reign forever. Brought down to his knees because of four faithful Jewish boys. The whole kingdom. Four. What else can we, what can we do? What can you do? There's a little saying we like to say in campus ministry, God plus you equals majority. In your workplace, God plus you equals majority. Can we stand to our feet? I'm done. Wow. I'm just thinking about how powerful that is to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders of the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. I wonder what that decree did. I mean, we're talking about a, a kingdom that stretched over all the tribes, over all the languages of all the people of the earth at that time. Um, I mean, we just think, think about some of the most powerful people in, in the world that we know today writing that um, because of the influence of, the, the, of 
Daniel and, and his friends. Um, what, did, what did that do? How did that change the world at that time? It's incredible. I mean, my mind just goes crazy. Imagine some of our most powerful leaders tweeting that or coming out with that, you know. But it was because somebody got close to them and, and influenced them. And, and I think what I'm getting from the sermon is, you know, that either Babylon influences us or we influence Babylon. And, you know, God has put people around us and, and the job, we're not supposed to conform to the world and, and see, oh, what are they wearing? I need to get that. Or what are they driving? I need to do that. Or what are they doing with their holidays and their weekend? Oh, I need to do that. Or what's happening? But we actually live from God to the world. And we start changing the world. I think that's what the sermon is and it's calling us up, people. Amen? You're feeling the call up? You're feeling a call up? Can we take a moment? Can we just pray? I'd like you to grab somebody this morning. And I'd like you to pray for them and for them to pray for you that we would be an influence in Babylon, that we would not conform, but that we would shine as light. So pray for the person next to you, and then we're going to wrap this morning. Grab someone. Come on.